Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Vivian. I love everyone here. <laughs> I'm Vivian. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Vivian. So I was listening to that. First of all, I want to thank Martha for asking me to speak. And well, let me tell you what I am. I am tomorrow. I will actually be th- 32 years abstinent from sugar. So that's a real thing. Um, I sh- my abstinence, when I came in here, they were very specific about it, and I found it very useful being, because um, I was in a fog when I got here. I did not know what I ate. I knew that food was a problem because my weight was a problem, but I had no idea what I ate, and my sponsor pointed out to me that I might stop eating sugar, and I said, oh, Barbara, I can't. <laughs> and she said, well, just try it for 30 days. Some people can take it back after that. You never know. And I, she was so smart because she knew I would never, ever be able to eat sugar like a normal person. So we chose the abstinences for me is, and it's different for everyone in the room, pretty much. Uh, maybe somebody will have my abstinence, but many people have different ones. They work out with their sponsor. Mine is sugar is a fourth ingredient or more. Then I can have it. Why? My favorite diet dressing in 1983 was creamy cucumber by Kraft. And that allowed me to eat salads, which I thought were not that appetizing, coming from somebody who, like, looks for a dessert menu every time you go into a restaurant. Like, what do you have? Is there cheesecake? That's really my question. So anything that helped me to eat healthy, you know, I, that's what I took. And, and to this day, that really, that's still my abstinence. I'm also multiple addictions. Um, I go, I, I call it going to school, going to do these different programs because I, I'm a natural student and I, and there's a lot of stuff for me to learn and I am open to all of it and it has helped me to live a better life. So, I'm gonna, and somebody else was talking about wedding cake tonight. It brought me back too. Um, when I got married, because I'm skipping around a little bit now, I remember trying wedding cake too, and I had two choices for me, uh, Manny's and Faves, because both of them didn't have sugar. And I, and my whole menu, I, I tasted the whole menu, and my dog tasted it with me. And he was so full, he like was like rolling over near the, my, um, cook chef's um, fireplace and there was still more food to taste and he like she's like come here and I'm like Morgan come you have to taste this with me and he came rolled over and had some more food and that was the only actual food that I had of my wedding because that night all I did was dance I was so which is not like a compulsive a reader right like I planned the food menu and it was so specific and I, I was it was like the music was important and the food was important. I didn't care about anything else, like flowers. Who cares? Um, my Even my dress, it was like, I think I got it in like one, one going out to the sales rack. It was like, oh, here it is. This is nice. But the food took a lot of planning. And... But I didn't have to, I didn't have to overeat. So anyway, I'm going to start with what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. If that already doesn't prove to you that I'm a compulsive overeater, because for those of you listening on a podcast, I look good now. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I, it wasn't always that way. And, and I'm also body dysmorphic, and who isn't? You know, I've, I've, I don't think I know anyone except I know one person who does not have our disease who I think is probably not body dysmorphic, but every other person I've ever met, like in the same day, I can think to myself, not so much though. Um, oh, I've overeaten, and then I'll call like my friend Veronica and say, Veronica, am I fat? And she's like, are you crazy? <laughs> and that's why I have people in program. But most of the time, most of the time, I, I pretty much know that I look, I look good now. And that was not the case when I got here. Because even when I was a size 4, I thought that sometimes I thought I looked good, and other times I thought I had to incense myself to lose more weight by thinking I looked bad. So I would look in the mirror and think, oh, no, like, oh, my butt is too big. Because it wasn't all about the base back then. <laughs> it, was, it was like base was not encouraged. Thank you. Hooray for the ascendance of cultures that like butts. So it's really benefited me. And anyway, so I... When I was little, I, I mean, from the very, very young age, I, food was a problem for me. I, I remember going ice skating. I was probably like eight years old, and we would go to this ice skating rink, and I had a diary then. I had a red diary, and it had golden letters, and it had a key. <laughs> you, and, and I thought, God, I just love secret things with a key. And I thought, but what am I going to write in it? And I, I thought, I know. And do you know what I wrote? Three paragraphs. Guess what they were? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I wrote what I ate every day. Because uh, to me, that was a very important thing. And I remember one time at the ice skating rink, I wrote down, like, I really hated ice skating because I had weak ankles and I would always fall all over the ground. And I, I just didn't like it at all. The only good thing about ice skating was the vending machines. <laughs> so I remember going to the vending machines and, like, writing in my diary, like, today, like, I pretended that I was ice skating, and instead I snuck out and I got chocolate, chocolate bars from the vending machine. Like, yay, this was, like, my big secret. And then I locked the diary because, God forbid, anyone should see this very secret and private thing that I'm doing, which would really be only my brother because nobody else really cared. Um, what I wrote in my little my little red diary, and then I would hide the key in this little silver box under the red velvet cushion, so that no one would ever dare see these shameful things about food. That was pretty much. I mean, if you think like me that your breakfast, lunch, and dinner is like shameful and secret, and also I'm trying to control it, you're in the right place. <laughs> not everybody thinks like we do, but I did not know that coming here. I, I used food to space out. Just I, I'm someone who has had a lot of problems being in reality. Reality is just so frightening. Like, like large rooms of people, that the more there are people in the room, really it's not my natural bend. My, my natural inclination is to be friends with one person and just tell one person everything and everybody else, it's just like, oh, my God, why do I want to I mean, repeat myself? You know, say every single thing that's happened to me all over again to somebody new. But I learned, I learned growing up that, like, my, my best friend moved away when I was in fourth grade, and I learned, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And 
And to this day, I sort of force myself to have more than one friend because really, I don't want to. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that hates people. I'm just like one at a time is really all I want. But um, so I grew up, when I look at pictures of myself now, which I haven't looked at like my third grade pictures in a long time, but when I first got abstinent, I remember looking at them and thinking, I thought I was so much fatter. You know, I thought I was so much heavier than I was. I was really sort of... They, they had a phrase then, like you were pleasantly plump. God, I wish they had that phrase now. I should try and bring it back. Because um, now they don't really have that. It's like people think of themselves as thin and fat. And I really, for all I thought about food all the time and thought about trying to be thin and happy birthday, um, Liz, I really wasn't so bad. But I was constantly thinking about it and how to control it and how to look good in white jeans. Oh, and here's another thing. I just bought some white jeans like last week. I never buy white jeans. Uh, here's another. We, in a way, we have little victories that only we ourselves know are victories. Like, I've always wanted to wear white jeans, and I've never done that. So I think I'm going to do that now. So, hooray. Hooray for the program. So, I, my, growing up, I was, I was a very good student. I'm one of these people that sits in the front of the room, and um, I am not a rebel. I am someone who is, I will take, I take direction really well. Like, even before I got into programs, someone said to me, you know, you really know how to follow directions. And if you know how to follow directions, you have really a step up in this program. And if you're a rebel and you learn to follow directions, it probably will change your life. Like, people go to... I did go to college before I came here, but when people say to me, oh, I'm going to college, I think, of course you are, because you learned how to work a program where you follow direction and you go in and you take notes and you, you're consistent. So anyway, I, I got good grades. I, I was always struggling with food. I was, I was a size four and thought that I was fat. And I thought if you didn't think a size four was fat, you had low standards. Yeah, you were not. Because if I could achieve it, it was really, my bar was, if I can't achieve it, it's really good. If I can achieve it, then who cares? It's obviously not good enough. So I need to set the bar lower and, or higher. Lower weight, higher, higher, harder thing to get. So, I was setting myself self up for failure on this. And, and everybody around me knew that I had an eating disorder. I'm not one of these people who could hide eating. Even my dog knew. Like, he would hear the crackle of, like, cookie wrappers, and he'd start... That was him, like, scratching on the door to get in. And he was always giving me away. I would try and hide in bathrooms, in my, in my, in my room. Anyway... Everybody around me knew I had a disease. When I came to, I although people didn't know, like I, I had, I had a normal boyfriend at this time. I was like, at like 19, but my emotional maturity was really stopping from, at this point, and I was started to not be able to tell you the truth about myself. I started being, um, Liz was talking about being ashamed. I started being really ashamed of myself for. I don't really know why. I think it's part of the. I just think it's part of the disease, and I didn't really want to tell you who I was. And I think after this boyfriend, where I was 19, I never, I didn't open up to people anymore. I felt like if you have problems, you should be able to solve them because I'm not bothering you with my problems. And I just wasn't real with anybody. 
So I would have fights in my head about with friends that I had, hadn't seen in a while, and then when I would see them, I would be mad at them. And they would wonder why I was mad at them. It's because in my head, I'd had a fight with you, and you were really mean to me, and I'm getting back at you right now. Now, this is along with the eating. This just shows you that, I'm just trying to show you that it's not just overeating that's part of this disease. It, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. Like, emotionally, it, it kept me very stunted. So, I get here to Los Angeles. I, I actually, I, I did a study abroad program when I was in college. I always, I, I'm a big traveler. It's really easy for me to travel. It's just one it's in my genes. It's just easy for me to travel. And I went to London for my junior year abroad, and I met somebody who was from Los Angeles. And I thought I would come visit her. Now, I had never wanted to come to Los Angeles other than that. I'm not one of these people that was always dreaming of coming to California. I thought, yeah, uh, like, people, yeah, like, Nancy's laughing. I, I thought people here were, like, crazy. Like, don't you know the big ones come in? <laughs> yeah. Don't you know you're all going to die? <laughs> like, and uh, why would you want to come here? But I came to visit her, and I liked L.A. within, like, an hour because <laughs> I, I was always searching for freedom. Like, to this day, I like the feeling of being free a lot, and... And I felt like the motto of L.A., without anyone saying it, was like, anything you want to do here is fine. Like, the more, the more outrageous, nobody, everybody, like, was sort of admired it. Like, wow, like, you're doing this or that new thing. That People in L.A., to my mind, hate old, old stuff that's been done. It's always like, what's new? What's next? And that gave me a great feeling of uh, just freedom, as I said. So I ended up moving here. And here is where the birthplace really... Actually, the birthplace of OA, um, Roseanne, our, our founder, actually, um, I knew her. I asked her to speak at um, a meeting that I used to um, be a secretary of. Anyway, I started off in, um, I had fallen into AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't really think I was an alcoholic. I remember my boyfriend at the time was poking me in the hips and said, you know, you need to go to OA. And everybody goes like, oh, when they hear that, like, oh. But let me tell you, I was so in a food um, fog from, I didn't let myself feel pain. I would just have a cupcake. You know? I was not in touch with my feelings. And when he said that, I just thought, there's a solution for me? Great. <laughs> so I came to a meeting and I identified immediately and luckily, I started working a program just the way they had told me to work it in AA, which was I got a sponsor right away. I called my sponsor every day. Um, I had commitments at my meetings. I remember, and I sat with people who were, um, who had what I wanted. Um, people who are, you know, people who got A's in class, basically. It's like if you're getting an A in this class, you know who they are. They're the ones that have recovery. They're the ones that are talking and you're, you're hearing recovery in their voice. And I, I stayed with them and I stuck with them and figured out how to do it. And I remember I was, so if you're new, one of the best um, experience slash advice I can give you, uh, every, I say this every birthday, is get a commitment get more than one commitment, but when I did not want to come to a meeting, I came for you, because I, I had a commitment. I had to have the tea ready, and believe me, there were many varieties of teas, 
and many different types of fake sugar and uh, hot chocolate without sugar because this is important. You know, when I'm not eating sugar, there's going to be a great variety of stuff that I can have, which you will have. <laughs> and I, um, so I got these commitments, and my somebody asked me to sponsor them after like 30 days. I remember she was, I would say she was like 60, and I was like 24, and. And I just said, okay, because my sponsor's like, okay. And, and I could not believe when she would call me, um, I couldn't believe the things that were coming out of my mouth. It was like, I didn't even know. It's almost like God connects you with his voice when you decide to um, decide to sponsor people in this program, when you decide to work that step. Now, not all the time. I think she was my sponsee for like a month or two. But still, that was, I was impressed with myself. It's like, I didn't even know I knew that. Um, <laughs> So if you're, if you're out there and you're thinking, oh, I don't know how to sponsor, I don't know what to do, my experience is just do it anyway, you know, and, and you're surprised at what you know, that what comes out of your mouth and how you're able to help somebody, and it helped me. So probably the biggest things I have learned in OA, um, I'll start with, well, first I'm going to start with what I've learned recently. Which is two things. First of all, I have, I'm feeling a lot more just serenity and happiness than I felt even like nine months ago. And I am attributing this to two things. And just so you know, I don't really know for sure why this is because sometimes I've just lost dress sizes in a way and not known how because to me I've, I have eaten just the same way and I don't know what happened but somehow I lost weight. Um, which, of course, comes from keeping coming back. There's never been a time in my entire absence where I haven't had a commitment, where I haven't gone to um, every week to an OA meeting. But first of all, um, I learned how to feel my feelings. Um, somebody, a lot of times I would eat over feeling um, sad or lonely or depressed. And I did not know what to do with negative feelings. I used to eat over them. And when I felt them, I'd go, I'm feeling a terrible feeling now. And I would try and push it away. And then recently, I was listening to, uh, I always give Louis, Louis C.K. Um, credit for this because he does deserve it. He was a comedian. No one in OA that I know of um, was just was just talking about feeling feelings and how if you let yourself feel the feelings and they, they leave your body, you know, it, it's when you fight them that they, that they stay there. And I just thought, wow, what a great idea. God is talking to me. Because God talks to me through different people. Like, I will call, like, my friend Veronica and I'll th- ask her opinion on something and I'll think, okay, God's speaking to me. I'm my sponsor. If my sponsor tells me to do something, I feel like God is speaking to me through people. So I was looking for something about this about feeling, I was feeling a lot of loneliness at this point. Actually, I'm really not feeling it now, so this method works. So, um, <laughs> so I sat down on my sofa, so I'm feeling lonely, uh, like nine, say nine months ago, and I sat down on my sofa, and instead of fighting it, where I just sort of like, you know, it's, it's when I say I'm fighting, I'm just sort of mentally pushing it out, like I'm trying to get it out, I don't want to feel it. I sat on the sofa, I like opened my chest, sort of mentally, and let it in. Like, let it inside me. And two things happened. First of all, I didn't feel any more lonely. I was afraid if I let it in, I would feel, like, so much more lonely that it would just hit me like a tidal wave. And I would fall down. I, but I didn't. I felt just the same lonely as when I was fighting it. 
So that was a plus. And the second thing is, he was right. It left sooner. I didn't fight it, and it just sort of washed through my body and left sooner. So that's number one. I've learned how to feel negative feelings. And when I feel them now, when I think about it, if I'm unconscious about it, I'll still be trying to push them away. But then it'll come to my conscious mind, oh, I'm feeling ashamed or I'm feeling something something negative. Not uh, The good feelings I have no problem feeling. (laughs) Yeah, as all of us. We all want to feel like we're winning a game show (laughs) 24-7. But uh, that doesn't happen um, unless you have depression after that. I also don't have depression now that I used to have a ton of when I came in here. So that's the first thing, just feeling those feelings and letting it wash through me. And, and it doesn't come back as much. The second one, which I don't think I've talked about anywhere yet, is humility. I was, um, and humility, I will define for me as not telling God anymore what to do, but trying to, looking around and saying, okay, God, I, I want to find out what you want for me. I'm actively asking you what you want me to do. The way it says in step, and I'll only put my glasses, 11, because if you ask, I can never remember the steps like verbatim when I'm speaking. But anyway, sought through prayer. This is the only thing we're supposed to ask God. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood and praying only, only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, so if I'm... Uh, only allowed if I'm working these steps and just say that I take this as gospel. This is the way it's supposed to be. I'm only supposed to pray for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. Then I don't get to tell God what to do. <laughs> and I also don't get to get mad when what I'm asking for isn't happening. I Instead, and I've gotten a lot of peace from this, when things aren't going my way, like the other day, um, uh, I'll give you an example. I Somebody that I was talking to, was, it seemed like she was going to, she asked me to sponsor her, then she didn't, and then she got, ended up asking somebody else, and I got mad at her. I thought, damn it, you know, what are you doing asking somebody else? We have so much in common. What up? So I felt angry, and then I was, I was thinking about it and praying, like, like, and I realized I was lacking humility. I'm not, if I'm praying for knowledge of God's will for me, God doesn't want me to do this, or it would be happening. God doesn't want me to do this. I need to serve in the way that God wants me to serve. And backing up humility is gratitude. I wasn't being grateful for what God was giving me. I was speaking at a whole lot of different meetings that I hadn't been speaking at before. And I was getting to give service that way, but... I was not feeling grateful for that. Instead, I'm telling God like a spoiled brat, which, believe me, I was when I was growing up. Um, no, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I already have that toy. I want another toy, and that's not that's a lack of humility. No wonder I was feeling bad. And as soon as I realized these things, I started to feel peace again. I started to feel like peace inside. Like this is okay. I just need to be. To be humble, to have humility about what God wants me to do and serve where I'm supposed to serve. So I think those two things, humility and just feeling the, the bad feelings, and, and for, you know, for lack of a better word, the, um, you know which feelings I mean, the, the feelings that are the opposite of feeling um, ecstatic. Um, 
feeling, un- those uncomfortable feelings. Feeling those things and looking to the humility for and being grateful for what I do have is just giving me just a lot of happiness and peace lately. Um, even though before I used to count on food to cover that up and also um, relationships, um, romantic relationships, much more so. And I notice that each day I actually feel pretty happy. And actually sometimes I would actually say quite happy. I'll use the word quite. <laughs> and um, and I'm not in a relationship with somebody. I am dating people and, I, and I've also... I see now, too, I was sharing at another meeting about um, patience. Some things just take a long time. You know, like striking a match takes a second. Building a friendship takes a while. Building a relationship takes a while. And if I try and do it quickly, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like putting a cake in the oven and putting it at, a, you know, a thousand degrees, and then it explodes in a minute. It's not ready faster. It just explodes in my face because by its nature, it needs a long time to cook. Same thing with relationships. And now I am, so I'm getting that. I'm getting that, and this is after so many years. So if you think, oh, wow, um, it's taking so long. Yeah, sometimes it does. But, (laughs) and not to say either, I mean, I've also been married before. I'm a widow. Um, I was married for 10 years. I had a really happy marriage. But strangely enough, I feel like I feel like God has given me this mission in life. It's, it's just about um, romantic relationships because I keep getting it over and over and over. I mean, how many um, people are widowed in their 40s? Not that many. And, and yeah. so I just feel like this is something that for some... You know, God has big plans that I have no, know nothing about. Somehow this is contributing to to furthering God's plan, me learning these lessons on relationships. And I'm sort of getting it now because I am being patient and also, and I'm happy without it. And I also see that a lot of the happiness I get is from things that don't necessarily make everyone happy. Like, I love my puppy. I love my dog, Jasper Pine. Um, he is, and I don't love all dogs. I had one that was a devil dog. <laughs> she was just awful. I tried for a year, but it was a bad relationship. And anyway, but I've had Morgan, Morgan Alonzo Pine, and now Jasper Pine. And I get so, and I get so happy being with my dog. And it may sound like, gee, that's really hokey or weird or whatever, but this program is about being true to whoever I am that God made me and getting the pleasure and the happiness out of where I naturally get it instead of what's popular. So, And sometimes I don't even recognize it because it seems so odd that I would feel so happy being with my dog, but I do. I, I really do. And I get a lot of pleasure, too, from doing the most the smallest tasks and just having enough time for them. Like, I love, right now, I, uh, I used to work 60 hours a week. And I, that was before my husband died. I was working in advertising, and that's just the nature of the beast. You, it's 60 hours a week. That's the end of it. If you don't like it, quit. So I was working all the time, and I always felt like I could never get everything done that I wanted to get done or give it the time I wanted to. Now I'm not doing that. Um, and I can, I can, I have all the time that I need to get everything done that I want to. Like, 
oh, just, God, what do I, give me an inch, just examples, things like paying my bills and looking at my credit card statement and figuring out what each charge is. And I can, like, um, highlight it and look at it, and I feel like I have enough time to do this. Whereas before, I might just be like, ah, do I pay this? Do I not pay this? You know, it's almost time. Ah! And that made me really anxious. Now I realize I just feel so happy just being able to pay this with enough time to do it. I feel so happy being able to put, um, just to have enough time to make coffee the way I like it. Like, I, a lot of the things that I think are just so little, I actually get a lot of happiness from. So this is, again, getting in touch with who God made me as and the happiness that he actually did give me now that I'm able to open to, willing and able to open my eyes and see it. And that's big. That's big because these are things that I'll be able to do like all my life. Um, Let's see, what else? Oh, it's question time because I love questions. It's 6.10 and I have 10 more minutes. um, Thank you, Veronica, 10 more minutes. I love love organization. (laughs) I love things that are well-run. And this is a well-run meeting and, and the steps are very well run and well thought out. So I'm really just so happy that I'm a part of it. And I hope I said, if I didn't say anything that resonated with you, just keep coming back. If I said anything that did, just hold on to that and forget the rest of your stuff. <laughs> That's the way it sort of works here. If everything, everything that you hate, just forget about it. <laughs> and if you love it, just hold on to that. Uh, I hope you keep coming back. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, this really is my favorite part. Um, I think, I don't know, I want to be a teacher, but not really. So, um, okay, great. So the question, oh, I'm so happy I remembered to say it, was how do you, since I'm in more than one program, how do I have the time for it, integrate, do the steps, do both programs? Okay, so my, I'm actually in three programs, I'm going to be honest. I am in, uh, which I have, some people are ashamed of being in a lot of programs. I am proud. <laughs> like, we work, we work hard. And we have a lot of recovery. I don't look at people who don't go to programs and think they have more recovery than me. Quite the opposite. <laughs> so, I am in um, OA, which is really my primary program. Um, I'm in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm in Al-Anon. So, the number one rule I have is that whatever my sponsor tells me to do, I don't check it out with the other sponsor and play it against them, you know? Just like a kid would check the, between their mother and their father. That would never work in my house because my father would always say, whatever your mother says. <laughs> but I don't do that. That's number one because then it's self-will for me. And self-will is what gets me eating food. Self-will is what gets me out of here. Self-will is what makes me unhappy. Humility and gratitude are like the opposite of self-will. Um, I, as far as I just did as working the 12 steps, I just did what each sponsor asked me to do. They usually ask me at different times to do my, my steps, like a fourth step. So, And I've done many over the years. So usually there was more stuff for me to mine. I did them... The very first time I did uh, my steps in in Alcoholics Anonymous, it was the seven questions from the Pacific Group, which was different than how the big book was. But then after that, I pretty much always did it by the big book, and I and 
it's just some time went by between each one. So there was just more things I remembered or had to clean up. And it's also happened that I've been ready to do amends at different times. Like I had one really big amends when stealing my roommate's mother's engagement ring, which was really bad. And I did not want to do it for the longest time. And then it was suddenly sort of time to do it. And because of doing that, Really difficult amends. By the way, if you have a really difficult amends, that is the promise that has come true the strongest for me. Um, today, I have absolute freedom from financial insecurity. I mean, a lot of people out there are very insecure about money. And I even know, I know this woman, she's a friend of mine. She lives in Beverly Hills, and she's always worried about money and thinks she has no money. So it doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have. It's really a state of mind. And I think... Because I felt this way when I didn't even have a full-time job. You know, it's because my sponsor said, you have freedom, you, you, you need to work that step. I, you have fear of financial insecurity. But it was always a different time. So that's, that's my experience on that. That was a long answer. How did I give myself permission to be happy? And I, I, your, your tape didn't stop, I'm thinking. I, I'm trying to think when I didn't. I'm trying to think when I didn't want to be happy. I, I'm sure I had roadblocks to it, but I think that's really the point of this program. Really, if we're in God's world, doing God's will, and being happy with who we are, and by giving service and feeling like I'm a good person. Like I, feel like, I feel like I am a good person. If you were to go and look at all my dirty laundry, you would say, well, there's a few stains here and there, but no big deal. Um, then the byproduct should be happiness. That, do I always feel that? No, that's sort of part of life. That's what I was talking about, feeling the bad stuff. But I guess just sticking in the program, and all my programs, and just little by little hearing things that resonated with me. I guess I've just given myself more and more permission to be happy without even thinking about it. So that's that's what I would say. Just keep coming back. I know that sounds so trite, but it really is true. Oh, okay. What do my mornings look like? Meditation sponsees. I do get a lot of sponsee calls in the morning. Um, I'll get a 9.30 person, a 10 o'clock person. Um, it used to be much more regulated before I went to work. It was like you know, somebody said, you know, it, everyone is at 15, 15 minute increments. You have to be 7 a.m., 7.15, 7.30, because then I had to go shower and go to my 60 hours a week. But still, in the mornings, I wake up usually many times talking to God. Not always. Now, I like to go to God when I have, God is like my confidant now. When I'm having troubles, by the way, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I'm not perfect, or, you know, I feel bad because I'm not perfect. My latest theory is we're not perfect because God wants us to go talk to him. If we were perfect, we go, got it. I got this. I would never go to God if my life were running perfectly or if I were perfect. So when there's something that I am thinking about that's on my mind and I don't know what to do. Like, say, like, dating my, if I'm now dating, um, one of the people I'm dating is my former fiancé, and, and it's going, I still don't know the answer to it. It's like living with unresolved questions. I'll talk to God about it as I wake up. But sometimes I won't even think about it. I won't talk to God. But I talk to God a lot of times in bed and then have my coffee, feed my dog if he wants to eat. He's, he doesn't have a disease. 
Amazing. Um, and yes, Fonsi calls in the morning, and I have some old some old timers that, that will call me in the afternoon. But that's yeah, it's pretty much a program morning. Also, my Mondays are very programmy, which I like because it helps me get back into my week. I actually go to two meetings on Monday. Oh, goody. Okay, do I ever feel the compulsion to overeat late at night, and what do I do? This is something that I recently had, actually. Veronica, again, knows the answer to this. I was coming home from meetings, um, because I go to five meetings a week, and at night I would feel like I wanted to eat, and I had put on some weight, which I only know by my clothes, because also another thing, I threw out my scale a long time ago, because... I either, it either looks like, oh, this is a great number, and let me reward, reward myself by eating, or this is a terrible number, I must eat. <laughs> so anyway, I noticed, though, that my clothes were tight, and, and actually Veronica said to me, you know, don't, why didn't you stop eating at night when you get home? I thought, wow, brilliant. You know, like, a brilliant idea. So what I did was I noticed that, um, first of all, I got a mug of hot water. And so I'm allowed to have hot water, and I found this gum, and I will name it because, um, what is it? It's like these cubes, and they're purple. Like, what is it called? I don't know. And it, and it comes in one of those fancy gum boxes, and it's sugar-free. And when I tasted them, and you're all looking at me, like, some people are like, what is it? What is it? Like, uh, it's grape. What is it called? You know those cubes of gum? Anyway. It, they're sugar-free, and they taste to me like candy. So I let myself have um, a, um, a mug of hot water, and I go and like brush my teeth and everything, and then I get into bed. And I noticed when I got into bed, I didn't want to eat so much anymore. It was something that's standing in my kitchen that made me want to eat. <laughs> Gee, sort of answers its own question. And but once I got when my pajamas in a bed, I didn't want to eat so much anymore. And then I could have my gum treat. And then I just have a bunch of gum. And Len, who's in the crowd here, knows that I first got off sugar by eating a lot of diet gum. He still remembers this 30 years later. Um, so that's what I did. And it so that I, I would actually recommend that. I know that my clothes are really good now. And now it says thank you, thank you. Thank you.